What's up, everybody? Welcome to Conversion Marketing Radio. I'm your host, Ben Double L. Wilson, and I'm so, so, so excited for today's episode. I've got a good friend on, and I've been able to interview him and learn about the tactics and strategies that he is applying of how to add 5000 10000 15000 2025 even up to $50,000 in small projects that he can do by himself, scale his business in a way that's comfortable for him to live a lifestyle that he enjoys with his family, with his newborn, and be able to actually enjoy life. And I've got him on today's episode and he's going to be sharing these tactics. In fact, his interview was fascinating to learn about the way that he thinks and how he sees business in a whole new light. He's the host of the Wealth Reliance podcast. You can check it out. And David Deal, is he is the real deal. I'm so, so excited for you guys today. And so without further ado, let's get into this. Welcome to Conversion Marketing Radio, uncovering the secrets of how to convert your dream clients into paying customers. If you're here to learn about maximizing conversions for your business without wasting money on vanity results, consider subscribing to this podcast. And now, here's your host, Ben Wilson. What's up, dude? How are you? (laughs) Man, I'm so excited that I get to talk to you again after being on your podcast and then being able to uh, back-to-back follow up with how our podcast went yesterday, but then also to flip the tables and interview you. Dude, it's like the double feature, the double hitter. What's the, like a two, it's like a twofer. It's a twofer. It is a twofer. <laughs> you can listen to what I said on your podcast yesterday, uh, the, the lessons of running in life and, and how that applies to life lessons. And uh, today, I'm excited to hear what you, what, what's been on your mind and what's been on your mind for the last like eight years since we last talked. <laughs> Well, first of all, I went running this morning. That was cool. And I ran five miles in the snow with my dog. Um, and dude, it was, it was really cool. So after I interviewed you, I actually had another interview last night with another one of my buddies who's an ultra runner. So he does like hundreds of miles. So a hundred mile races, 200 mile races. And between the two of you, I was like, I feel bad about myself. I need to start running. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that makes me feel bad because I was talking all about how I'd hit a half a marathon and you're telling me that back to back, the next person that came on was an ultra marathon runner. I need to read this podcast. (laughs) Whatever, dude. Cause here's the coolest part. Like in both episodes talking about just the life lessons that come from running. And I think that was the biggest thing that I took away right from both of your episodes was if you like running is such a cool sport, there are very, very few sports that are mentally driven, right? You obviously have to get in shape and you have to be able to, you know, have the, the, the endurance, but you, when you're running, dude, it's a total mental game. And so I started like going through this, right? I, I hit, you know, it's five 30 in the morning, it's snowing, it's freezing, it's dark. I've got a headlamp on. And it's just my dog and I running out in the middle of nowhere on these country roads. And I'm just thinking to myself, okay, like I've got this and I've got my music pumping and I'm going through these different phases where, you know, after a mile, I was like, oh my gosh, that's it. Like I've only run a mile. I'm going to like fall over and die on the side of the road. (laughs) And then I just keep going and I keep pushing and it's like mile two. And I'm like, Hey, I'm feeling actually really good right now. I feel like I broke through my cows aren't hurting as bad anymore. And I'm cruising along. Then I hit mile three and I'm like, okay, I want to just quit right now, but it's too early to call somebody to come get me. I'm in the middle of nowhere and I just have to keep going at this point. And so I just keep going and cruising along and then, you know, mile four hits. I'm like, 
I wonder if I could do five miles. So then I had to change my route a little bit so I could get that extra little bit that I needed to get five miles. And it was like 5.3 or something by the time I got home. But dude, it was just such a cool like journey and path. And it was just so neat by the time I got done. And this is one of the things that, uh, you know, stemmed off of what you said, but one of my buddies, he's like, I've never had a run, you know, when I'm doing a race or I'm going out and practicing that I've regretted running. Right. He's like, by the end of it, I never regret it. And so that's why I keep doing it. And the same concept really hit me when I got done. I was like, man, that was really like eye opening. It was fun. I actually enjoyed it. And I got my dog on a walk because I always feel bad that I don't walk him as much as I should. He's probably so, like, I'm so happy. What are you doing today? <laughs> my wife's going to be happier because my dog is actually, you know, happier and less energetic because I got his energy out in the morning on the run. And so, you know, I think I'm just going to start going two to three days a week and, and running and then hitting the gym the other days and just really make it a part of my routine. Dude, that's a... Uh... It really is eye-opening. It's eye-opening after you start pushing yourself beyond what you thought you were capable of. Like for me, I always thought it was a, it was a, like, just as you had said, you were like, I wonder if I could hit five miles. Like that's exactly what happens. As soon as, and then your, your calves toughen, your knees start to, to not as buckle as easy as before. And you go, Oh, well, what if I do six miles? And then you go, what if I do eight miles? Yep. And we'll go, what if I do 10 miles? And then literally it was like, I was, I was at 12 and I was like, well, I can't stop now. Like <laughs> I yep. got that last bit. I'm so, when I saw you posted on Instagram this morning, your time and, uh, and just running and getting out there, I was like, I'm so happy for him. Like it's, it's not fun. Mile one's not fun. Mile two's not, oh. fun. mile three's not fun. Four's not fun. Five is actually fun though. Yeah, it is. Cause you like feel rewarded and you're like, wow, like I just ran five miles. That's a, like the farthest I've ever run before. That's awesome. Yeah. It's a, it's an accomplishment. You feel really good. If you haven't ever done it before and you, you hit that five mile mark, you're probably sore. You're probably very oh, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, by the time I got home, then I was like, okay, you know, cause I had the thought maybe I could go to the gym after this cause it's still early. I could go hit, you know, do a quick gym workout. And I got home and I was like, Nope, I'm good. Like that was, <laughs> that was a good workout and I'm tired and I'm going to just call that good. And I'll stretch out a little bit and you know, it'll be uh, the start to something greater. Do you ever do yoga? You know, I have done a little bit in the past and I need to do more. Um, especially just because of my, my body. Like I, so I got in a car accident, uh, in 2010 and it was a, a crazy, crazy experience. Uh, should have been dead, should have been paralyzed. And, you know, we can go into more about this a little later if we want to. But when I, after that, basically, I just said, you know, I got to do something more than I probably would have before just to keep my body in a good condition where I can continue to, you know, the older I get, I just need to age well because I don't want to be that person that can't move, you know, at 50. And like, I've got to push myself harder so that I can enjoy those rewards down the road. Do you, did that moment change the way that you looked at life? Totally. 100%. How so? so if you think about, well, okay, let me, let me just rewind here. Okay. So this was 2010. It was a month before my wife and I were getting married. So we were engaged. We had the wedding scheduled, everything ready to rock and roll. <laughs> 
and it was actually my brother's birthday. And long story short, a girl had flipped a U-turn in front of me. I swerved against her, caught a curb, folded the car around a telephone pole. And, you know, then I ended up, and I was conscious the whole time. So I was completely aware. Uh, my back was killing me. I couldn't move my feet. They got me into the ambulance, uh, got me to the hospital, took them an hour to get me out of the car. Jaws of life. I had to cut the roof off. Like, dude, it was nuts. Wow. And I mean, crazy experience anyway. So I get to the hospital. Um, I'm still cracking jokes along the way. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I go through the MRI and you know, all this stuff and they try and figure out what's wrong with me. And so they end up finding out that my left arm, which was out the window and I was holding on to the door, like from the momentum and the speed. So theoretically I should have like lost my arm. Cause that's what, I mean, where the bend mark in the car was where the pole hit and my arm was, they were pretty close to each other. So I don't know what happened or how that even happened. Anyway, the arms got a plate and 13 screws. And then my back has six screws and two rods and it's got, you know, a big old uh, section of the back fused. And anyway, so, you know, that's like the history lesson on the accident. So I'm in the hospital and this was the, the game changing moment where I had one specific moment in and out of consciousness out now at this point, because of all the, you know, all the drugs and stuff that I was on. But I, I remember being coherent enough to go, I have one decision that I need to make right now. And I have two outcomes that can come from this one decision I make. So I have the choice and the decision to either say, I am going to live in fear, regret, frustration, and anger for the rest of my life and blame for this accident that, you know, as a 21 year old is going to ruin my life. Or I can think of this as an opportunity because I have a second chance. I'm still here on this earth. I know that if I decide to get out of this bed and walk to, you know, regain my strength to get back to doing the things that I want to do. And really the biggest thing at that point was like, I want to marry this woman. I want to marry this woman that I'm deeply madly in love with. And I want to start a family with her. And I want to be able to, you know, have these memories and this amazing life together. And that was the key moment that changed the rest of my outlook on life because I now had this thought of, A, no matter how hard something is in your life, no matter how deep the hole feels and how, you know, drowning you may feel, there's always a way out and there's always a light at the end of the tunnel if you just keep swimming or you keep clawing or you keep crawling or you keep... Um, that hope and that endurance and per perseverance. And this is where running comes into, I think. But if you just have that large outlook on life, your entire life will change. Your perspective will shift. Your lens will shift and you will live your life to a whole new level because you have a reason why you want to live. How do you feel that that, that lesson, that moment applied to you starting businesses and becoming a creator and uh, I mean, you and I met in college. The background between David Deal and I is we met at college in a, I think a sales class. Is that right? Yeah, it was a sales class. And then did, did we have Ralph Little together too? Did we have that I, entrepreneur I one together? Had, I never had him as a professor, but I knew of him. That guy was cool. That guy was cool. Anyway, so yeah, it would have been the sales class. And that's where we met. And dude, I don't know. I feel like we had like a pretty cool 
connection and a friendship like right off the bat. I don't know really what drew us together, but um, it was one where I said, okay, this is a guy, you know, out of all the people that I've met in college, this is a guy that I want to somehow stay in contact with. And it's been what, 10 years since we've talked, but both too. Yeah. You know, here we, here we are, <laughs> here we are, here we are again. And, um, the, the news and, and this is what I want to get into and, and also use that accident is you've become a self-reliant a business expert, essentially. I mean, this is what you're, you've got a podcast called the self-reliance podcast. Is that right? Or is it reliant? So it's, so it's the wealth reliance podcast and the company is called self-reliant wealth. And okay. Yeah. And really what it is, man, is, you know, I'd say an expert in the sense that if you've thought about an idea, I've most likely tried it and I've learned from experience trying so many things and having so many things not work and having so many things work to the point where I've just said, okay, like my mission in life, right. Is to really give people hope again, to help them understand that, look, if you have a plan, a process and you have steps, the only X factor is you doing the work, right? And I can't teach, I can't make, I can't force, but I can give you everything you need to be successful in starting a little bit of a side hustle or starting, you know, a successful company because I've been around and I've done it. I mean, you know, over the past 10 years, I've been able to generate, you know, multiple six figure businesses. I've been able to raise millions of dollars in capital for starting up uh, businesses for doing real estate ventures. And through all of those lessons, I've just learned so much. And really the, the thing that I've learned the most is it kind of goes back to a quote I heard. Um, and it was a Vince Lombardi quote. And he just talks about how, you know, when he got that first job as a coach for Green Bay, he walked into the locker room and he held up a football. He said, gentlemen, this is a football. And then I looked at him like, you're a moron. We know it's a football. And his whole outlook on training and coaching was we're going back to the fundamentals. You know, we're running the fundamental drills that you know, but you haven't practiced in a very long time. And the better you get at the fundamentals, the better you get as a football team. And that's something that stuck with me golf forever. And I've used it in every business that I've ever started. And it just goes back to the fundamental basics. Like a, what do people need? What value are you trying to create for somebody? B, how can you monetize it and create a revenue stream? And C, um, how can you scale it and be able to grow this into something that, you know, is a big, huge thing or it's smaller to where you want it to be, right? And I, for me personally, I found that my niche is being able to create businesses that generate that mid to high six-figure number. And that's where I want to stick. Because if I create a bunch of small businesses that do that mid to six-figure range, I have multiple streams of income in a similar industry, but that produce a much higher result. And for me, that's just been my, my trick or my success factor, I think. And so what, what keeps, I mean, so first of all, let, for those listening in, what are all the different businesses that you are currently in? And uh, what are the commonalities that make it successful? Yeah, great question. So the different businesses I'm in really come down to one main thing, and that's real estate right? But there are different types of real estate. So in real estate, I've done flips, I've done hard money lending, and I've put money together for deals in that sense. Uh, I've got rental properties. Currently, we've got a couple right now, and we're continuing to grow that portfolio. Um, I actually have one property that we've been sitting on for two years, and that will generate um, right around one hundred fifty to $200,000 in a two-year period, which is awesome as a flip. 
Um, and then I've got a vending machine company, which go figure, dude, it's the funniest business in the world. But uh, I've been doing that for about four years now. I've grown candy. it from, yeah, dude, I know. I mean, candy, drinks, like it's a necessity, right? People need food. And when you think about that business, the, the biggest key to that is location, right? It's just like real estate. I have real estate inside a building and that is prime real estate because there's foot traffic that comes to that or there's, you know, employee base that comes to that machine. And that becomes a staple for them because they can rely on it and they can know, Hey, um, like I need to go get a snack or I need to get something to eat because I'm like, I'm getting tired. I'm getting hangry and I need a solution. Um, and that's been just a, a fun business to learn. I started out with five machines. I now have, um, I had at one point had 25 and then I scaled it back and I've got 18 right now. Um, they're across the Wasatch front. I've got, you know, some locations that do a thousand dollars a month in revenue. And I have other ones that do $50 a month in revenue. And those are some of the ones that I'm moving and adjusting. But I think, you know, again, it just goes back to that. You have to try, you have to try, figure out what works, figure out what doesn't work and then adapt and, and pivot based on, you know, your findings and what you learn. Um, you've got $50,000 in revenue from a vending machine. So that one actually this last year was lower because I lost a couple of my high locations and that does 60,000 a year uh, this year. A year. Okay. Not a month. Correct. Not a month. Last like, year. How much candy are people buying? <laughs> so, but here's the crazy thing, dude. I mean, in, in a month time, I go through thousands of units, right? I mean, I'm pumping through product like nobody's business. And this is a business that like, I know people that have taken those businesses to 300, $500,000 a year in revenue on vending machines. On vending machines. On vending are machines. you able to, do you keep track as to what people are buying to know more mm -hmm. of what's put in? Yeah. So believe it or not, uh, the Snickers is the staple. That is the highest selling product that I have. Wow. Um, it's, people are hungry and they're not satisfied. They are. Dude. And I don't know why Snickers, but I guess it's just the staple. It's what people know. And they know that, you know, if I get a quick snack at a vending machine, like it's just the go-to. Um, but it's fascinating to watch the analytics behind it, right? And that's really somewhere where I've started to focus more is really tracking and understanding what people want, what their buying habits are, you know, how much they're willing to spend. Like sometimes, dude, I've got one place right now where I have two machines side by side and I have a Snickers bar, one that's at, I think, $1.50 and one that's at $1.75 or $2. And I'm just testing to see, you know, how engaged people are with that Snickers bar and what's the psychology is behind it. And believe it or not, they're right next to each other and they'll both sell out. Like, no way. I don't understand it. Like I, I'm trying to understand and I'm trying to really gain, you know, a, a comparison of what people are thinking. And I think at the end of the day, they don't really care, you know, what it costs. I typically try and keep my events between, you know, $3 is the max that I have. And it's a pack of beef jerky. Everything under that is right in that dollar to dollar 50 range. And that's where, you know, most of the stuff sells really fast. Do you um, the track if the, let's say it's a left vending machine at $1.50 and a right vending machine at $1.75? Are you able to uh, track by any means of knowing did the left one sell up before the right one? So it was a supply and demand issue? I can track that. I have not done that yet, but yes, I can. I do have the ability in the analytics to do it. It's just, there's so many things. And okay, so, and here's really where my brain is scattered and I get a lot of grief because of it, right? here's a business that I could turn into, you know, just one business that's amazing. But the way I see it is if I can make that business become 
you know, a hundred thousand dollar a year business and it brings in, you know, a net profit of right around 40 to 50,000, depending on where my margins are at for that particular month, then that creates a whole different opportunity where I have this now passive asset that somebody else is running. It takes me an hour a month, if that to manage and maintain that, that business. And I can add it into these other businesses that I have. And, um, then I can take that revenue and just continue to reinvest it and dump it into other businesses or other projects that I'm working on. And that's always been my philosophy is I would rather have, you know, a foundation built upon a few small assets and those small assets give me, you know, a hundred to $200,000 a year in revenue that I can just reinvest. And then I have my other, you know, job, so to speak, or other business that's like my main focus that's paying for my life and living and everything else. Because if I do that, I build a strong foundation that no matter what type of economic challenge happens, I have assets in different places that are continuing to generate revenue and they're making up for the ones that are underperforming, if that makes sense. No, that makes a lot of sense. So you are, uh, you're looking at this as multiple smaller streams of revenue that are, if one goes down, it's not going to greatly affect you, but together all of it is really giving you the revenue to play around with and to grow. Does that sound right? Exactly. 100%. And you know, it's where I get the, the grief is it's like, well, just focus on one thing. And I'm like, my brain doesn't work like that. Like I am, I perform better if I have different projects that I'm bouncing around from. Because for some reason, I spend time, I get super excited, I get the system, I get the process, I get it to a certain point where it's producing, it's working. And then I'm like, okay, I need to spend time in another area now to continue to learn and grow, right? I don't like being stagnant from a learning perspective. And there's always different things you can learn in every business. But I just feel like for me personally, the success has come when I'm just like, okay, build this business, grow it, get it to a point where it's self-sustaining and then go out and start doing something else that I really enjoy. And that's where, you know, this whole podcast thing came in is, is I was like, man, I've always wanted to start one. I don't know how it works. And now that's become like my main focus. How do I build, grow this thing, add insane amounts of value to people. And, you know, really my target demographic, if I had to break it down is, you know, it's like the, the typical American household income. You've got, you know, a younger couple or even, you know, that 30 to, to 45 range. They have a couple of kids they're looking for ways to invest or generate more revenue, potentially get out of their job by starting a business. And I just share experiences from, you know, a whole different dynamic of people and business owners. And then also, you know, my story and the different companies that I've started. And I just teach people how to create something from nothing. You know, if you asked about the other businesses I'm in. Well, one of the other ones I'm in right now is like, I love my wife and I love camping. Yeah, you guys so do. I, You're always camping. We are like, I absolutely love it because you can get, you, I mean, we took a road trip and this was back in 2015 and it was a month long road trip. We lived out of the back of my truck and literally dude, we, we ate like rice and beans and we lived off our food storage. We had no money, but we traveled, dude. We started in California and we went all the way up the coast, bounced, you know, in between all these national parks, went up into Canada, came through Banff and Jasper and back down. Uh, through uh, Glacier and Yellowstone and like we did it all right and that was one of the coolest experiences I've ever had in my entire life because it was just my wife and I we had nowhere to be you know no nothing pushing us to do anything we just were able to enjoy just to be right that state of just being that's where we were and so 
after that experience, I've always been like, well, how do I duplicate and recreate that? And so we started getting into camping and I started thinking, well, how can I get somebody to pay for, you know, the equipment that I need and even the trips? So if I can create a business that basically pays for my lifestyle and hey, it doesn't have to make a ton of money, just enough to cover, you know, my, my basic nut of the cost of this stuff and, and my travel costs, then that'd be awesome, right? So I heard about a buddy that bought a motorhome and he started renting it out. And I was like, genius, done. And that was it. That's all I needed. I needed that one glimmer of hope and it led to action. By the next you know, week, I had purchased a motorhome and I was getting it ready to rent it out, right? And quick action is what, what it makes it. Exactly. And that's what I learned, you know, for me again, like one of my skills is just acting. If I hear something, I do it. I don't wait around. I don't think about it. I don't do all this, you know, hum hawing around, but I just say, okay, here's my analysis. This makes sense. Here's what my growth strategy is. So I take the time to really, you know, prepare and look at it, but I take action immediately. And anyway, so we buy this motor home, get it ready, get it rented out. <clears throat> In the first year in business, that thing brought in, I think it was ten dollars or $11,000 net profit after it had paid for the RV payment, after it paid for all the equipment that we needed. Uh, and that was even after we paid for travel that we had gone on the trip. So we, we had taken it on personally. And I was like, dude, $11,000 I just made for doing what I love. All my travel was paid for. My vehicle was paid for this is amazing. How do I continue to duplicate it? So I started scaling it. I ended up buying a trailer uh, last year and dude, it was, it was awesome because then, you know, I now like I'm looking at my family of kind of a selfish way and I'm like, okay, I have all the, the different types of camping vehicles that I could ever want and I'm providing value to somebody else. And I really focus on creating that experience. How for, you know, my customers, I don't make it just, Hey, here's a rental, but it's like, I want to make it nice. I want to make it memorable. I want to make it something that, you know, they go home and they tell their friends about and they're going to give me a call instead of going through the other hundreds of people that are on Outdoorsy. And I've spent, you know, a lot of time building the review base and, you know, getting these different customers. And I've just watched it grow. So, you know, this last year, picking up the trailer, we bought it halfway through the year, got it rented out. Between the two of them, they brought in 23,000 uh, gross revenue. So our net on that was right in the 16 to 18 range. So every year it's growing. We went on more trips than we did last year than the year prior. And this net revenue is still growing to a point where it's like, cool, I'm getting paid to do what I love and I'm making my lifestyle paid for itself. Like you don't have to make, that's the funniest thing, man. That's one of the biggest lessons I've learned. You don't have to make a ton of money in life. All you have to do is find out what you really love to do, figure out a way to monetize it. And then those activities are paid for by somebody else. And from a gross revenue standpoint, you're generating a lot of revenue, but from a net revenue standpoint, you can live your life basically free because other people are paying for the things that you like to do. So you've covered so much and I, I want to, I want to come and, and touch on a couple points. So one, you talked about, um, being able to just do like you yep. just, you just go ahead and do, and I want to know what what causes you to just do? And, and have you always been that way? Or was that something that you had to develop? And if so, how does that then apply to uh, the discovery that you don't have to have a lot of money, you just have to get uh, enough cash flow in and out to provide for your lifestyle? And how did you 
how do you take something? So this is a two-part question. Um, is how do you take that after now doing and turning it into a pa- or from a passion into profits? I think a lot of people out there are struggling with how do I actually turn a passion into a profit? I've heard that a hundred thousand times in my life, but exactly what does that mean and, and what am I looking for? Great question. So to answer the first one, I think I always have been like that, but I think that accident really was an eye opener to me to realize that, man, I could die tomorrow. And what was my legacy? What did I leave behind? What, you know, did I take advantage of every opportunity that came by my way? Did I live, did I live life? Did I not just, you know, did I not live life, but did I live life? Did I enjoy it to the fullest? Did I take advantage of like, dude, there's so much opportunity in this world right now. There's so many ways to make money. It's just blows my mind. And life is meant to be enjoyed. And that's, that's what I firmly believe. And I think that's what drives me to do is I don't want to wonder. I don't want to regret. I don't want to wish. I'd rather take the action, realize, hey, this doesn't work or this doesn't make sense and backtrack than have this feeling of regret inside. Because I mean, what's a life lived if you're living with regret about everything you do or every decision? Um, you know, another stem off of that, I think really one of my biggest passions in life is to eradicate indecision and indecisiveness. Because if you think about this from, you know, I know you're kind of a spiritual guy too, but you know, for those who are, or aren't what I, what I believe is there, there is opposition in everything. Right. And if you allow the opposition to always govern the decisions and the outlook and the choices and everything that you live your life and you make, then you're always going to be in a state of frustration, of anger, of blame, and it's just not a good way to live. So if I can show people how to and teach people how to live a life not governed by indecision and they just take action, then they're at least going to be producing results, right? And results whether they're good or bad, whether they're positive consequences or negative consequences, there's at least a progression that's happening. There's a, a, a lack of stagnation or um, pausing, right? Of, you know, I love the, the term in the scriptures that slothfulness, right? That is such an amazing definition of indecision because it, it, it captures laziness. It captures non-motion. It captures, you know, slow progress. And we have got to continue to progress. That's really what leads to that state of happiness, joy, peace, you know, whatever that you're looking for in your life, that's what's going to get it. It's not going to be the money that's going to get it because you can make all this money and realize, well, you know, I don't have the friends I I want. I don't have the family or the relationships I want. Like for me, my most important currency that I have is my relationships. And that's why I spend so much time developing those because I mean, at the end of the day, like that's what you that's what you have. That's what you live your life based on is these amazing relationships. And those relationships can lead to, I'm sure you can talk about it too, but in business, like that is the key make or break, man. It's, it's who you know and where those, that network can take you because you're adding value to them that literally can open up an entire world that you never even thought was available to you. So for those, uh, those people who are listening in and I appreciate you sharing, uh, your, your outlook on life and relationships. And there, I'm sure there's a lot of people that listen into both your podcast, my podcast, 
um, and are just searching who haven't discovered money doesn't equal happiness and they mm-hmm. are searching for that money. At what point do you think it's, uh, it's justifiable to, to search after like how much money do you think a person actually needs in their life? And what is it going to take for people to hit that number from your, from your experience? That is such a good question. I want to go back to the other question you asked first and I'm going to come back to that. Is that okay with you? Absolutely. Okay. So the original question that you asked was how do you turn passion to profit? Yes. Um, so to give you an, a baseline on that, here's a story for you. So we, you know, we moved to the country, we're close to all these lakes and reservoirs, and I absolutely love being able to get outside and really enjoy nature, right? And so I'm thinking to myself, well, how can I find an activity that I can do together with my family and have somebody else pay for it? So I'm thinking, well, it'd be fun to get some paddle boards or maybe some kayaks to go play on these lakes and these reservoirs. And so I start looking around on KSL. I'm like, well, what if I just rent out these paddle boards and stuff from my house? Cause I'm really close to the lake. People drive by me all the time and I can start renting these things out and you know, whatever it makes, it makes, and it'll at least pay for the, the equipment. So it doesn't have to come out of my pocket. And so I start looking around and browsing on, you know, KSL or classifieds or Craigslist or whatever. And I end up finding this guy in Idaho that's selling his business. And he has like a bunch of kayaks, a bunch of paddle boards. He's got all these, this different equipment. And I'm like, sweet. So I start texting the guy and I'm like, Hey, you know, would you come down to this price? And I think I got it for like 2,200 bucks for like eight different pieces of equipment that would have cost, you know, easily closer to four or five grand. And so I felt, you know, pumped in the beginning because, Hey, I got this sweet deal. Then I started going through and I said, okay, well, how do I really monetize this? And I double checked my numbers. You know, I looked around, I started calling different companies and finding out what their rent rates were, how close they were to me. And finally, I just said, okay, I'm going to go do this. And it was like two days later that I went up and drove up to Idaho, picked all this equipment up, brought it home. Um, I made a freaking sign. Like, I'll have to send you a picture of the sign. It's hilarious. I just stuck it out front of my house and people started driving by and they started calling the sign and they started stopping and they started asking, hey, can we rent your gear? Like, what do you have? So then I'm like, well, crap, I need to like create a waiver and like figure out a way to take payment, you know, all this stuff. And so then I figured out a system and a process where I literally, all I have to do is respond to a text or a phone call. They come and they pick up the equipment. They fill out the waiver. I don't even have to be there. And, you know, in basically a month and a half, it brought in $900 in revenue with no marketing other than a, a wood sign that I spray painted and put out in front of my house. And so you know, that $2,000 investment turned into really, you know, $1,000 that I'm into it or 1100 now that I'm into it. By the end of next year, I'm hoping to create that into a five, six, $7,000 a year business and, you know, have my wife, she's at home there and she can run out and meet somebody if they need it. And uh, it's a very, you know, simple, easy process from passion to profit. That's, uh, I want to touch on this before you go on. So one, I just want to diagnose it essentially. I'm going to break it apart for those people that are listening. So what David looked at was you're looking at something that you are trying to obtain. Like there's, there's a goal and there's an obstacle in your path as to now, how do I go down this path from A to B and how do I get someone else to pay for it? That's honestly, that's the best way of looking at it in a very 
almost narcissistic way because you're looking inwardly, but you're also looking at a way that how can I help others to enjoy their own passions and their own desires and their own, uh, the things that they would like. Obviously people want to go kayaking. They want to experience paddleboarding and you live by the lake. And so you saw an opportunity as to your environment. Uh, that's a great opportunity for a small business. If you're looking at your environments and you're looking at your opportunity and what you would like to do yourself, there's always others out there who would like to enjoy it as well. So by being the leader, taking the risk and figuring out, uh, let's go create a problem for myself as in let's go put a wooded sign out. And then you realize, does the market want it? Is the market in demand of this? And that's a good way to test. You're never going to know if you don't start testing. And as you tested, then you created a problem. You didn't know the path entirely. You knew that there'd be some obstacles in the way. And as a business owner, you're looking at it from how to, uh, or the problems that are being created, how to solve each problem one at a time. You got to create a waiver. You've got to take money. You've got to figure out a system that's going to work best for you. So it's not taking up too much of your time. And you're not looking at it as being your end all be all. You're just looking at an additional five to $7,000. And what could that actually do as a family? Like if you brought that into your family, what does that actually do to you and your family? That puts you on a vacation that buys you extra groceries. If you're having problems with groceries, it allows you to uh, step up into a new vehicle range, right? Yep. So all that just based off of one little thing that you decided, I would like to paddleboard and I'd like to canoe near my house. Yep. And that's how you took a passion and you turned it into revenue. That was the, the breakdown, right? That was it, dude. The simple version was just, okay, I like to do this. I know other people like to do this too. Now, what's the opportunity? You know, and it, it's so funny because we just, as human beings, it's natural to just overthink and overcomplicate and all this crap. And it's like, well, did you set up a business license and all this? No, I didn't set up a business license. I'm testing something out, right? And it's a small town. So I'm like, well, if the city has a problem, they'll come talk to me. You know what? Eventually I did. I went and talked to him about something else. And I'm like, Hey, that's a sign out there. Like, what's the deal with that? And so I was like, Hey, I'll pay your $25 business license next year. Sure. No big deal. But I mean, just like take this digestible one step at a time. Don't get so caught up on all the difficult things you have to do. Just, just test it. Try it. If it works, if you enjoy it, then keep doing it. If it doesn't, then you can backtrack and move on to something else, right? I mean, I could have easily been like, I actually don't really like paddleboarding, so I'm going to just sell off the equipment or, you know, I'll keep it and we'll go a couple times a year, no big deal. And so that was my exit strategy. And that's, I think, a big thing too is, right, have multiple exit strategies. So I'm thinking this in my head before I go buy these things. Okay, if this doesn't work, what are my options to get out? So A, okay, I spent some money and I can probably sell off, you know, a bunch of this equipment. And then I'll keep the stuff that I want. I've got it, you know, no big deal. I'm not really out anything. B, um, I could turn it into a business and I could sell the business. C, uh, you know, I'm sure I could find a way to market this and create something, you know, actual that I love to do and, and make sense and I can continue to do it. And finally, you know, the last, the D and, and the last, you know, option there is I could sell the entire and get out of it and walk away. And, you know, I may lose a couple hundred bucks, but so what? Like I at least tried. I mean, what is the risk in that? What risk in all of those exit strategies is there? You lose a couple hundred dollars. Okay. I know that might be law for some people, but it, you know, in the grand scheme of things, you know, we spend hundreds of dollars on clothes and shoes and items in our garage that we don't need and we never use again. 
right? So that's how I look at it. And I go, okay, I don't have a garage full of crap. I have a garage full of stuff that I use that makes me money and stuff that I enjoy doing, right? Mm-hmm. I see what you're doing here. I, I, I'm seeing the pattern as to what you are looking at your small businesses and you're asking different questions because you're getting different answers than everyone else. And why I see how you're looking at your time and exchanging it in terms of resources and value and providing happiness for yourself, but also knowing there has to be other people that want this. There has to be someone else who wants the Snickers bar out there. And there has to be people that would like a Snickers bar on a daily basis. I think I'd like a Snickers bar every once in a while. And it'd be really cool if there was a Snickers bar nearby that I could go put a dollar fifty in. So vending machines. Uh, you've also got your, your RV rental and you found a way to monetize that. And I see the pattern as to how you're creating these small little businesses. But I notice you've also, you've, you've broken the chains as to what I think holds a lot of people back. You look at selling as a different means than buying. So people are very good uh, at buying stuff, but they're not good at selling stuff. Right. They're afraid to put themselves out there, even if it's selling paddle boards. And it, let's say that they bought a business, those paddle boards are going to sit in their backyard and they're going to just eat away at their anxiety. I shouldn't have bought those paddle boards. I don't want those paddle boards. I'm just losing money. But they're not seeing the exit strategy because the way that they bought a product was very different than the way that they are viewing how to sell it and not, not able to exchange that back in. That's at least a roadblock I've noticed I had earlier in my life. I was afraid to sell stuff, like even my own stuff, and as a product. And you're looking at it as a business standpoint where you have to sell if it's not working out. Yep, no, exactly. And I think, you know, going <clears throat> right along with that is people, <laughs> how do I put this? Every single person is selling something. And this is, you know, the big mental shift that I had, you know, a long time ago. I don't know if I could remember exactly what it was, but every, <clears throat> every word that comes out of your mouth is essentially selling, right? You're selling somebody on an idea. You're selling somebody on going to a movie. You're selling somebody on going to what restaurant you want to go to. You're selling somebody on just your opinion and your thoughts, right? <clears throat> so we're always selling no matter what it is that we're doing no matter, you know, what our day-to-day activity is, you're selling something. And so when I started to learn and realize that, I just said, well, why not just learn how to get really good at helping people get what they want? And if I can do that, I know that at the end of the day, that's going to turn into a reward for both sides. And this was something, you know, going along with that lesson was I always create a win-win scenario. I do not create a win-lose scenario where someone else loses or I lose. It always has to be a win-win. And with that kind of a mindset, with that kind of a, an outlook, you change how you approach people and that sales process, so to speak, becomes a lot less intrusive where it's natural. And, you know, in many of my conversations I have with people, like I'm always selling and I'm aware that I'm always selling, but it's such a natural, a natural conversation. You know, if people want to get good at this, go knock doors. Like I spent, you know, a lot of time when uh, I was up in Toronto knocking on doors, I spent some time out in California when I was helping some buddies start a solar company out there. Um, and I pounded thousands of doors, right? And it became a game to me. How do I get this person to smile before they slam the door in my face? How do I get this person to at least laugh? Because if I can do that, then that can start a conversation into seeing if I can meet their needs with the service or product that I have. But at the end of the day, if I walk away from that door and they smiled, then I, I won, 
right? I was a vict- victorious at that door, whether I sold the product or not, because I sold them on the idea of laughing and I made their day. You know, I, I see that my dad taught me a lesson similar to it. He was noticing people just in church. He loves talking to people in church. And I used to be, <coughs> I was, why are you always talking to people like everywhere we go? And he said, because I would like to just know if I could add anything to their day. If I can make them smile, then I've done a good job as a person and I've added value to them. Even making someone smile because the cost of a smile is priceless. It's not free. It's priceless. That's a very different way of looking at how you smile and making other people smile. Because if you can also provide a priceless value to someone, when you add a price to it, it's a lot easier. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, man, I, it's, it's amazing what you learn in, you know, your journey of life and just entrepreneurship, but really like at the end of the day, man, it it all comes back down to the people, like the people, people matter. People mean the most. Like I have my days when I'm like, man, I hate people, but I even have a shirt that says you people, or it's two people outside. Right. My wife has that one and I have the other one. But, um, you know, at the end of the day is, is the funny as that joke is, it really does come down to like, we're all on a racetrack. Okay. And this racetrack has different hurdles and obstacles that you've got to overcome and maneuver through, but it's the same track and we're all on it. And it's this track of life, right? We have to get good at recognizing and realizing that there's other people on this track too. And we're not competing against them. We are competing against ourselves. We are our own biggest critic. We are our own biggest competition. And the moment that we become aware to that and understand that, Hey, there are other people around us. And if I can win this comp- this in- internal competition with myself and recognize that, Hey, if I can just help a ton of people get what they want, I guarantee you, you will always achieve the results that you want in life, whether it be from a financial standpoint or from, you know, just a happiness standpoint or whatever it is, because you're doing something productive that is infusing, you know, light and hope to people that need it. You know, I, I agree with you that we are definitely on a track. So there are some people that are, do not have as many hurdles. Oh, absolutely. And then there are sure. some people who've also figured out the track really, really well. I would say Amazon is a very dominating business because they figured out how to add value in so many ways to other people's lives that are beneficial and convenient. Two day shipping for free changed the entire online shipping <laughs> and you didn't have to question, oh, it's $6 to ship. They said, we'll cover the cost. We're not even going to tell you what it costs. We're going to go figure it out. And you can buy one thing at a time. And uh, you'll only have to pay us for a whole year. They figured out other revenue streams, though, every single way that they could by providing value in, in any way possible. And I don't know if you've ever seen their revenue stream keeps growing. It's like a, a, a giant line just headed towards billions and billions and trillions, if not, that that's where they're going. But the profit that they've kept in their company has been the exact same for the last, I think, eight years. I, mm-hmm. I mean, don't quote me on that, but the line of their profit to their revenue, every more dollar that they get in and it doesn't, uh, and their, their profit has stayed the same, they're adding it back into the business. Yep. It's fascinating to look at adding, providing value for others, but then you can say, well, Jeff Bezos, was he on a, an easy track? I don't think so. If you listen to a story 
and you see what he was willing to do at the very start. If you've ever seen the picture of Amazon, yep, yep. it's at Amazon <laughs> in the background and his desk is a door. He couldn't, they couldn't afford doors or <laughs> yep. they couldn't afford desks. And so they used an old door and, and made it into a desk. They were a billion dollar company at that point. And he, and, and Jeff Bezos was still making sure that his customers were taken care of before taking any home or taking home any money. Isn't that amazing? And that dude, it really goes back to that same analogy. Like if you think about Jeff on that racetrack, he's looking around him going, all of these people are going through so many struggles and hurdles. How can I add value to them? How can I change and create a better experience for them? And that's how they continue to grow. And that's how they continue to build because they're always looking at ways they can serve their customers. Right. And I mean, you take that from a small scale and this is, you know, going back to that question that we kind of deferred from, you know, it, the crazy thing is, is so many people get tied up to this kid. Well, I want to be Jeff Bezos. Like I'm not making billions of dollars. Like I'm not successful. I'm not, I haven't done it. I haven't made it. I haven't, you know, become the best I can be and blah, 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 blah. Right. But at the end of the day, like Jeff is in his lane and he's on his track and you're in your lane on that same track. And when you veer in and out of the lanes, that is not going to be very conducive or um, successful to the race that you're running, right? Because you're running your own race, but it's on the same track. And you have to recognize that you have your own specific set of skills and resources and tools and abilities that can help you to make an influence for good in the lives of other people in this world. And it could be, you know, a small, tiny little mom and pop shop business that, you know, affects the community that you're in. It could be a national scale. And guess what? At the end of the day, it truly honestly doesn't matter because if you are becoming better than you were yesterday and you're better today than you were yesterday, then it doesn't matter, right? We are going to continue to grow. We're going to continue to add value. You're going to learn from experiences and you may very well be the next Jeff Bezos and you may not. And either way, it's totally okay as long as you are progressing in your track in that lane on that track. I completely agree. I look at Bezos and although his personal life is coming out and uh, it's, it's a heavy topic right now, yep. I, I did want to know, I'm, I'm going to throw a wrench in this because I want to come back to where we were at. Do you feel that Jeff Bezos's personal life, that people are going to question his leadership and his uh, growth inside of Amazon and will it affect Amazon? You know, I, th I think there's plenty of people that you can have the same conversation about, right? I mean, look at Elon Musk, look at some of these uh, incredible Jack human beings. Well, -known. yeah, Steve Jobs, right? Yeah. I mean, all of these people, they have gone through some very, very difficult things in their personal lives. And this is where it goes back to that track and that lane, right? I mean, I, I can't speak for them because I don't know what that situation was. I don't know what that experience was. I don't know how he was in that relationship. My assumption is he was focused more on his business than he was on his family. You know, in each of those situations, I'm assuming that's, they were focused more on the business than they were on their family. And, you know, whether that's right or wrong, I think that's totally up to that person and that situation. And it's different for everybody. But what I know, and this is where that comparison factor comes in. What I know for me, my most important motivator is my family because I want to be able to, like, I'm, dude, I look at this life and I go, man, if all I did in this life and all I accomplished and achieved 
was being able to have a family, have a couple of kids, and I was able to teach them skills that could help them become more self-reliant and more of an influence in this world for good, then I lived an amazing life. And obviously, like my ambitions and my goals and, and things are much greater than that too. And the, but that's a huge critical component and motivator in my life, right? Because that's what I see is the most valuable. It's more rewarding than any amount of money that I can ever make. It's more rewarding than any type of business I could create. But watching these innocent, perfect children grow and develop and become, you know, independent thinkers and being able to have critical thinking skills and decision-making skills that can help them really be self-sufficient in their lives. Dude, that's like a masterpiece right there. That is the greatest art that I could ever create, you know? And um, I think as I have that focus and that internal motivator factor, that's going to resonate with the type of clientele and the people that I'm working with. And they're going to recognize that genuine authenticity in a way that it wouldn't connect, you know, from a different level. And I think really it, it just goes back to that. What do you want out of life? What do you really, really seek and desire? And what are you willing to get it? And what obstacles are you willing to overcome in order to achieve it? And that's what matters most. Man, I love that you talked on that. I actually recorded a podcast episode recently on that about what lines are you willing to cross and what lines are you not willing to cross? And what are your true, like what's your true motivators inside of uh, why you do what you do? And with that, what are you doing to protect what you actually value as your, your most driven motivator? So like for me, it is family as well. And there are people that are, their motivator as number one is leadership or to recognize as a powerful individual and they value something else second. So it's what's the number one motivator. Cause that would, that definitely prevents a lot of lines from crossing. If you don't want to be uh, someone who is seen in the public and uh, I mean, there's so many memes and so many jokes about Bezos and his wife, and that must be very difficult, obviously as a oh, I'm sure. standpoint as all the jokes are coming down, there's, they're saying she's going to make like $78 billion or something like that. Um, and how powerful it would be that a woman is bringing down a man and all this different stuff. At the end of the day, it's still a relationship that was broken. She invested 25 years into that relationship just as much as he was putting in that relationship as well. And, uh, ultimately you can see where the values were and that's hard. It's really hard to watch that and to realize if you would like to become Bezos, what lines did he cross that he was having to cross? Like, are you willing to have a door as your desk as a billion dollar company? Yeah. Probably not. You may have a giant suite and you want to show off your stuff, but he, that was the line that he was willing to cross. Elon Musk sleeping on the desk, like sleeping below his yeah. desk and uh, working for 22 hours. Everyone wants to be Musk, but no one wants to put in that results or put in that work to get those results. You just want the fame, but are you really just willing to sleep under your desk at work and uh, be criticized by your greatest idols and everyone else out there for being not the best husband. You're like, yep. that guy's really smart and he crossed a lot of lines and I'm really grateful he's alive. <laughs> yep, yep, exactly. And dude, that's like, and you think about that experience, you look at both sides of that equation, right? And you think about what both of them are going through right now and how elevated this whole situation is going to be uh, because of the, you know, the, the publicity that they, that they have 
And I look at it and I go, man, I just feel for him. Like that, that is going to make, you know, a divorce that may have been, you know, a peaceful parting and just saying, Hey, look, you know, we've spent 25 years together. We've developed as people, but Hey, now it's time to split ways. And because of that publicity and all the crap that's going down, I mean, this could just make it nasty and awful and everything else when, you know, as sad as it is, and I even hate it, but dude, divorce is so common. And, you know, there are certain circumstances where people just give up and they quit. And there are certain circumstances where it's unhealthy and there are circumstances that it needs to happen. But in every one, it's personal to those people in that relationship. And that really is going to be such a difficult road to overcome for both of them. And it's much more hyped up because of, you know, all of the goodness that he's created, but it creates that many, that, that much, many more (laughs) that it creates that larger amount of haters. Dude, that was a struggle right there. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot more haters out there. There's a lot of uh, people that are saying, well, look at his marriage and they're not coming from a place where their marriage is necessarily perfect themselves, but it's a way to blame someone else and say, look, he can't have it all. You're like, you're right. He can't have it all. If you find people that are so, they're so far into one area. He's an amazing businessman. Elon Musk is an amazing creator. Elon Musk is so good at seeing a vision to fully change life and executing on it. Is he the best CEO? I don't know, but he's really good at bringing to life crazy ideas and getting people to believe in it. And that's yeah. something that our world needs. There are other people who are better CEOs and they can take over what he's done and, and fully grow it and catch his vision. There's Bezos, who's amazing at seeing how to sell stuff online. I mean, that guy, if he made a course, I'd be the first in line. I would buy that course mm-hmm. so fast because that's the, that's the guru you'd want to learn from, right? How yeah. did he actually do it? And I've read his book and I've read Musk's, Musk's books. I've met, I read uh, Jobs' book, and there's a commonality between all of them. They all were driven for success to be the best in what they were doing yeah. and to ultimately change the world in their own way. Did it affect the other parts of their life? Absolutely. It's like a video game. You can only have so many points, and they added all their points into one area. It's going to affect the other areas. Like a, a football player is really good at throwing a ball. He's not going to be the best at catching the ball. He's not going to be the best at blocking and he's really not going to be good at kicking, but he can throw a really good ball and we're going to favor him. Drew Brees, you've got, I mean, you got all the greats out there. Could they catch a ball that well? Maybe, but they're also back for a reason. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I think of business in that way. I think of life in that way. And it's important that we all do work together because some people's skill sets are so much greater in one area than another. And you cannot compare yourself to someone else because you also don't know that the problems that they're lacking, they're just tripling down on the, the areas that they are really good at. And uh, they're also finding out their weaknesses, but they're not, they're blocking them from being exploited. If you think of like a fighter, mm-hmm. if, a, if you watch MMA and you see one fighter is not blocking his ribs, the other fighter is going to attack those ribs because that's his weak spot, Right. And so what the, the two fighters going back and forth are just trying to find each other's weak spot. But that's fighting. And we're, we're humans. And when you get out of the cage and you get out of the ring and you're all together in this, in, in this arena, you're all humans working together. And so by being kinder, by being more open and just talking to people, 
networking, as you had said, it really comes down to that. That's really the, the matter of life. Like we're just humans adding to society in our own way. Oh man, I was about to sneeze. <laughs> uh, it's important that we recognize that no one is better than anyone in everything. It's just in one thing. But if you're constantly looking at how you're not the best at anything, it's going to cause a lot of anxiety and depression. And I think at that point, people, you stop believing, you stop believing that you could do it. You stop believing you can add $5,000 to your income and you stop believing that $5,000 would actually affect you. You'd think, no, that's not going to solve my problems. I'm $30,000 in debt. Well, now you're $25,000 in debt. Now you're $20,000 in debt because you started another little business. You can keep that going. But as long as you think one thing is going to solve a hundred percent of your problems, it is going to be a hard life. It really is going to be a hard life if you think a hundred or one thing will solve a hundred percent of your problems. One thing will solve 1% of your problems. So you need a hundred things to solve a hundred problems, right? No, it's true. And it's that whole, that whole old adage of the grass is greener on the other side, right? I mean, we get to the other side and it's like, well, I want to go back to the other side. Like this is not as good as I thought it was. And this is not what I was expecting. And I mean, you're, you're spot on. Like you, we all are creators, right? We all have this amazing ability to create the life that we want to live. But I don't think we understand that we have that ability, right? I I think that's what's missing is people think that that ability is taken away from them and they don't have their own decision patterns and choices to take control of their life. They just go with the flow and that's how they live their life. And it's like, it's so sad to me, man. And that's, I think, when I get frustrated with people, it's because I get frustrated with the fact that they don't see and believe what I see, right? And they don't give themselves the credit they deserve because we, again, we are our own critics, our, our worst critics, and we can be so hard on ourselves and that can lead to so much frustration and devastation that does not need to be there um, because the actual you know, reality and growth strategy of the whole thing is that all we need to do is just be a little better today than we were yesterday. And you're going to live a life that is fulfilled and enjoyed. What do you think keeps people from starting something? I'd say the biggest thing is fear of the unknown. And I'd say the second thing really is that, uh, that inability to make a decision, that indecisive thought. And that's really, I think what stems and grows the fear is people just, they don't take action and it's because they can't decide. I mean, think about times when you're, you know, with the group of people and it's like, Hey, let's go out to eat. And everybody's like, well, I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. Like if people were just decisive and said, Hey, well, what about this place, this place, and this place, then you could all decide on four places instead of, I don't care. And I'm guilty of this too. I'm by no means perfect. But if you just offered a solution and then you had four solutions and you say, okay, out of these four solutions, what's everybody agree on? then that would be much better than just being like, I don't care. We're going to drive around and waste a bunch of time. And you mentioned the Netflix thing the other day on one of your episodes. Um, and I just had to laugh when I was listening to it because I mean, dude, you could spend hours wasted on trying to find a movie on Netflix you really can. because you just don't, you're, you're not decisive and you don't just pick one. Um, I'd rather pick one and be like, that movie sucked 10 minutes in and just go back and find something else, you know, then, just sit there and scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll. But uh, I really think that's the biggest thing that keeps people 
from doing anything is just freeze mode. You know, I'm trying to decide, okay, I'm not doing anything. I'm, I'm doing nothing. I'm staying where I'm at. I think it, you're, you'd said something that was different than what I was thinking, which made me realize there's a lot, I think there's a lot of factors, but it definitely comes down to indecisiveness. I think as well as fear of, and I hate this, that this is the term, but fear of actually making it because Mm -hmm. you don't want to make it in something that you don't want to be recognized for. Like, let's say this, I remember wanting to be, like uh, Joe Rogan, but I'll never be Joe Rogan ever. But if I don't ever podcast and I don't ever record and I don't ever push myself to becoming better, there's a hundred percent chance that, that I would just never achieve being able to meet fascinating people and interview them and talk with them and learn about, you know, what they're up to and, and teach me what they're doing just like this. And if we don't take the time to do this now, like whatever gives you the idea that you would, you could make it but the fear of not being the best in that industry and starting out and comparing yourself to someone else's peak while you're in a valley, I think prevents a lot of people from ever starting because they go, I'll never be at the top. Like, but you didn't even start in your valley. Everyone started in a valley. You're just comparing yourself to what you now see is I like that. I want to be that, but I I can't be that. Joe Rogan's 51. I'm 29. He's got like 22 years on me. I would love, love to keep talking to people and eventually be at 51 where I can talk to guys like Neil deGrasse Tyson and Elon Musk and talk to fascinating people. But that's also 22 years away. That's the long game. And so if you're not willing to put in the work as to where you'd like to be by the time you're 50, if you compare someone at 50 to someone at 30, there's no way. There's no way. And even then... He's had, there's, there's so many other experiences, but you have to look at it and go, well, what, what experiences that I've, that I've gone through and I've, I've put myself into are adding to something that I can provide value for others. Is there, is there something that I have that's unique that other people could value? Right. And at that point I would never be a Joe Rogan because I would be Ben Wilson at 51. And I would have my own thing that I've been able to find that's beneficial and valuable for everyone else. But it all comes down to just starting and sucking and you suck every day. It just, it doesn't, you don't not suck. Let's put it that way. As I, I shared on your podcast, like mile one of a half sucks. marathon sucks. Mile two sucks. Mile three sucks. Mile four, it gets slightly better. Mile five, it gets kind of better. Mile six gets a little better, but then it gets hard again. Mile 11 and a half, pushing from, pushing from 10 to 13.1, adding that, those three miles in, uh, I did it over three days. So I, I took a three day break and then I added those three miles. It sucked. None of it was easy. I cried. I became very emotional. <laughs> I mean, it was a hard time, but I know I could go do it again. I know I can yep. get 13.1 miles again. And I, I started a month ago. You started today and I saw your pace and I was like, awesome. Every step forward counts, no matter how small, no matter how big, no matter how fast or slow, every step forward counts and you hit your five miles. It took an hour and you did it. 
And look at this. Yep. You, you came on and you're like so happy. You shared it with the world. You shared it on your, on your Instagram because you were proud of, of yourself. And I think being proud of yourself is one of the parts that people are ashamed of. They don't want to share their accomplishments because they think that it's bragging. Brag on. Go on. Be proud of yourself. Be proud that you did something and, and pass it along. You don't have to become some guru. You don't have to like sell a course or whatever, but just share your accomplishments because together as people, like we're all just trying to do something that makes us happy. You really said it at the beginning. Like, isn't the purpose of life to be enjoyed? Absolutely. 100%. It's so funny too, dude, because you you know, you mentioned like that Instagram post and I, when I posted it, I'm looking at it going, man, it took me an hour to run five miles. That's really slow. Like, this is my first thought, right? And I was like, like, screw you thought, go away. I just ran five miles. Like, I don't care how long it took. I did it. Right. And then it was, okay, well, I'm going to post this and people are going to laugh at me because it took me an hour. And then I'm like, well, screw the people. Like they don't know what I had to go through to do that. And the time is just a small piece of this whole equation. Like that time will get faster and faster and faster. But I'm like, I'd rather run five miles than run, you know, be only able to run one mile really fast because being able to endure the long game, like you mentioned that earlier too, if you look at all of my businesses, all of them are designed around a long-term game. All of them are designed around, you know, big picture, not short-term quick, hey, I'm going to just make a buck. And, you know, I have done businesses in the past and I will still continue to do that. But the reason I do the short-term is so that I can fuel the long-term. And that is the mindset that you have to start taking is like, who cares how long it takes? Um, It might take one person one one year. It might take another, you know, a different person 10 years. And at the end of the day, if, you know, the one person and the 10-year person to do the same task it took them that different amount of time at the end of the day, does it matter? No, because they still did it and they still progressed and they still went at their pace. And that's really, dude, I think this whole running thing and like playing the long-term game, like that's, I think why it, it running entices me and, you know, doing a triathlon entices me is because it's such a long-term perspective in a very physical, visual emotional way that teaches you how to be prepared and set up for the real game of life. Mm -hmm. It really, it's a short way of feeling very accomplished. You took one hour out of your day, just today, one hour. And with that time set you up for the other 23 hours of your day, even tomorrow it'll have effects. You'll be like yesterday I ran five miles and I feel good about that. But the day after, I'm telling you, get back out. Go run again because you're going to go, okay, let's do the same thing, but let's focus on my breathing. Let's focus on placing my foot flat, keeping my toes pointed, my shoulders back, my head forward, my chest out, right? And you focus on those techniques and you do the exact same thing again and because you know you can do it, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I proved myself today that I can go, I know I can do five miles. I've done it before. And now that you yep. know that, it's not that you're running a faster five miles, you're running a more efficient five miles. Yep. And that then speeds it up. And, that, and then you can push yourself and go, well, what if I do the next and the next and the next? And in life, that's exactly it. You have to come back to the basics every single time. But you also have to know where your limit is. And mm-hmm. you're 
get tougher, you get mental calluses, you push yourself into ways and you become proud of yourself. You're so stoked. You're like, this is what I can accomplish. What else could I accomplish? That's what I came home and I, I started building out another funnel after my half marathon. I didn't sit and relax. My mind was so fueled of two and a half hours of running. Yep. And I started designing a funnel because I thought if I could do one thing and go the distance, I should go and start this, this funnel that I've had as an idea and I should start mapping out what's it going to take to go the distance. Because as, as much as I think everyone is appealed by a short-term gain because of our long-term consequences, mm-hmm. that's a thought. That's good. That's good. Basically, all the little decisions that have put us into where we're at, we're hoping that one big decision will fix all of it. Yep. And that's, that's the problem, is you've got to work yourself back out of that hole that you've crawled into. And you can't run out of that hole. You can crawl back out of that hole. So, but you have to crawl back out, right? And it's a, it's a challenge. I think people want to run out of the hole. They want to jump yeah. out of the hole. They want to be rescued out of the hole. They want someone to, to come pull a slack line in there or whatnot and just yank them out and say, you've won the lottery or you've, here's your inheritance. That's what people wish for, right? Yep. I think, that it's, uh, I think there's something there that, to, to play around with another time where it is interesting to see every day you've made a decision and did you crawl out or did you crawl further in? But you yep. can stay there. That's the thing. No it's one's the, staying in the same spot. It's the magic pill, right? It's the magic pill, the one fix, the one thing that's going to change everything. But it really is those small decisions every day that lead up to that big thing. Am I? Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm recognizing that I'm in the hole. Am I going to take one cross step backwards today? And I'm going to take another one the next day and another one the next day. And hey, you know, I'm working my way out or, Hey, I'm working my way into this hole even more and more and more. And eventually I just give up and I quit and I die and I live a life of misery. Like, no, thanks. <laughs> There's no way. And I, they're different muscles. The muscles they that are. you use to go forward, you're used to. So when you start to crawl backwards, they're new muscles and it hurts. And so it's easier to keep moving slower down the hole and you can pr- try to prevent it, but the ground below you is constantly getting softer it's constantly getting easier to just not do anything if you build a habit i remember i got really depressed and i watched so many netflix shows because it was easier than making my life better it was easier the ground was soft it was like i could lay on this i could just not do anything but it got worse and worse and eventually it takes a full snap and it's a painful process to go, I got to change this. The worst part though, is you start to crawl back out and you crawl back out quicker than what you are capable of. Yep. And then you're tired. You want to make a new year's resolution and it lasts for a week. And then you're like, ah, it's cold outside. <laughs> yep. I like running in the cold because it makes me realize like, if you can run in the cold, you can run in the heat. Oh yeah, absolutely. Right. And when Absolutely. you open the door and you see it snowing and it's 21 degrees and you look at the wind chill and it's 20 degrees below and it's blowing at 20 miles an hour and uh, the, the, it feels like it's five degrees outside and you can see no one's running out there, it's really easy to go back inside and look at Netflix and watch a movie. It really is. It's a lot easier. Way easier. 
But the, way the thing that changes is if you step outside the door and just go, what if I walk today? That's fine. Yep. That's totally, totally fine. Close the door behind you though. Yep. <laughs> Make sure it's locked. Okay. Yep. Don't come back until you're done. It doesn't matter if it takes you an hour. It doesn't matter if it takes you however long. Don't go back inside until you're done because the mental pain is so much worse than whatever physical pain you're about to be in. It's cold. That's fine. Put more clothes on. Yep. It's not going to kill you. You know, it's, it's going to help you grow and develop. And, and dude, I seriously, I love, um, what, uh, what my buddy, the, the last guy that I interviewed said, you know, about that ultra thing. He's like, if I don't go out when it's cold and it sucks and I don't want to run, then I li- you know, I feel regret about that day cause I didn't go out. But if I go out and I just do it and I do my run and I come home, I have never felt regret once, once that I've done it. And if you live with that type of a mindset where, you know, you're living, you're living for growth, you're living for development, you're living for becoming better and you're living for just pushing yourself when it's hard and you don't want to do it. That's when you just start to realize how a grateful you are and B how hard you can or how you can accomplish anything. If you just put your mindset to it and nothing stopping you, but yourself. I think it's really fascinating to, to see the cycles, right? Because I think if you can see the cycles, you can catch yourself before you end up in the bottom of the cycle. You And it's like a, a loop. It's a big loop. And if you can close the loop at the bottom before it's as deep as it was the prior time, each time you go around the loop, you're still going to go around the loop, but if you can tighten it up and keep your, your highs as high or higher, but your lows not as low and they're moving up with you. I mean, you're, it's not like to say every day you're going to feel good. If you're waiting around to feel good, like it's been far between it's, is not a moment. And I, I, I realize this with running. It's a physical way to, to see how to endure hard things. Um, it doesn't always have to be physical. You can learn it in other ways. You can learn it in video games. Actually, uh, you can learn it through obviously watching movies. You can watch it. You can, you can get it in other ways, but it's, it's very powerful when you see the physicalness because it hurts and it actually yep. hurts you doing it. You're not just seeing someone else do it. You're in a position and you start to figure out who you are on when you want to give up. Do you give up when it first becomes hard? Because that's a really good application of life. Is that a commonality thing? Is it common to give up before you really put yourself through the next phase? How hard are you actually pushing yourself to progress? Are you staying at a one mile pace just because you know you can do one mile? You can do one mile really, really good. So you do like a seven minute mile, but you can't run two because you're, you're exhausted. Yep. I mean, as I don't know if that's possible. I really don't think that's actually physically possible, but theoretically, would that not be mental? Mentally it is. I think mentally it is right. Mentally. Absolutely. You're it really is really good at starting businesses, but growing them, keeping them alive, keeping them around is a lot harder. I'm real. I got, I remember seeing the, my pattern. I was like, I'm really good at starting businesses. And I remember saying it proudly to people like, oh yeah, I'm like a creator or, or starter. I, I start a lot of stuff. And I remember it came across once that it finally hit me. Like, I don't want to be that guy. 
Connor, being the guy that's really good at starting stuff and not finishing it, if someone else could take over, because if I want to start stuff, then I should be doing it as big as Musk. It should be as big as PayPal. It should be as big as SpaceX. And you should run it where it's pretty freaking big. And then later, after you've gone public and after you've done some fascinating things with it, then someone else can come be and take in over. charge of it. Yep, but if he exactly. was just like, guys, I've got an idea. Let's go to Mars. And they're like, how? And he goes, I don't know yet. But isn't that a good idea? And you're like, yeah, sure. Whatever. Sure. Sure. Why not? But, uh, you know, I'll believe it when I see it. And you say that enough times, you do that enough times, then your buy-in begins to go away. And as soon as that happens, then personally, you begin to lose that belief and that hope and, and understanding yourself too. And then you eventually just give up. I think, I think it happens. It's a cycle. And I think it's very common to not know where you don't know where you're necessarily always going. Right. But you better get on the path and figure it out and don't get off the path. Start a business today. Don't go buy business cards. Don't create a logo. (laughs) Don't figure out what the best URL is. If it's a long URL and you just have a link to it, and you start a new Facebook page and you share it with your friends, whatever, don't start a new Facebook page. Who cares? Yeah. And if you doesn't need a website, don't have a website, put a wood sign in front of your house that says we've got paddle boards or whatever your sign says. And that's, I think that's the wrap up, right? If you're going to be self-reliant, you've got to be not just self-reliant in the term of being wealthy, right? But are you doing the necessary things to take care of yourself every day? Your brain's a muscle. Are you exercising? Are you putting the right nutrients into it? Are you feeding yourself with books and positivity and good thoughts and hopefulness and being kinder to everyone else? And then are you literally taking care of the rest of it? Are you taking care of your body? Like that's being self-reliant, right? Oh, absolutely, man. It's, it's full, it's full circle because there are so many different, pieces of this equation like it doesn't just lead to like the end all be all the one antidotal thing is not just making more money like it's just not you have to you have to take care of yourself better you have to you know feed your mind you have to do everything that you just said and that's really what the definition of becoming self-reliant is just being at a point in your life or a state you know of being where you no longer have to be reliant upon other people or other things, but mentally you have hit that place of growth and of development and, you know, just that inner, that inner connectedness, I guess you could say, where you're just satisfied. Like that's, that is, you know, I I think for me, my biggest motivator is how do I get to a point where I can literally have the peace, the happiness and enjoyment that life is designed to be because if I can do that and get to that state of mind and state of being and just recognize like things are okay within myself, then every different piece of the equation, the wealth and, you know, taking care of things and creating a cool business and growing it and scaling it, all those other pieces are going to just naturally fall into place because I have gotten to a point in my life where I've become self-reliant and I've been able to, build and grow based on, you know, first taking care of yourself. You've got to take care of yourself before you take care of the world. 
right? Yeah, exactly. So as much as I think all of us, we have something instilled in us that wants to put a dent in the universe. If you're not, get one, get, get a desire to, to leave a legacy, get a desire for that because it's important you know that you can add to society in a very impactful way. You got to believe that you really do have to believe that you can add and you do add to society. But if you're constantly looking at me, 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 it's not going to work out. You're going to never get what you want by only looking out for you. It's a win lose situation a hundred percent of the time because you're absolutely win regardless of everyone else. And I do agree that being self-reliant is it, it starts with the way you address how you look at your life. Is it a short term that you're playing? Is it a long term? And uh, David Dill, it's been amazing having you have uh, come on to today's episode. I'd love to uh, keep recording, obviously, with you in the future and keep talking about interesting topics. And uh, for those listening in and want to catch up on, on where you're at and what's new and continue listening to what you've got going on for them, what's the best way to reach you? Uh, the best way, honestly, would be just check out uh, – you know, my Instagram and just all my social feed is just at self-reliant wealth. Um, and then my personal one <clears throat> is just at Dave deal official, send me a message and just check out what's going on. You'll also have a link. I mean, you can see, uh, all the different stuff that I'm doing. I talk about the, the paddle boards and the, you know, the RV business and the Oakley rentals one. And I mean, you literally, it's like, I, I try to be as transparent and open book as I can, because like, I just want to teach people, I'm not special. I'm not crazy. I just did something and I followed, you know, my path and I went after something and I want to just show people that other people can do it. And that's really what my, my mission is. So yeah, follow me, check me out and see what's going on. You can also check out the uh, self-reliant wealth podcast, self-reliant podcast. And so wealth, wealth reliance, self-reliant wealth.com and wealth reliance is the podcast. Oh, fantastic. Definitely check it out, guys. David Deal, he is the real deal. And uh, he has started a lot of businesses. I've seen it back in 2010 or 11 is when I had first met him. And he was uh, flying helicopters, I think, or not. Maybe they were RC helicopters, not full size. Yeah, a little RC size, But um, you were doing something with helicopters and then you started a shaved ice company. Yep. And... Uh, I remember you had spent like $5,000 to put in a line for electricity. And I remember thinking he's serious about this business. This is, this is a really interesting thing that he is uh, applying as a college student to make a shaved ice business. And as little as it was, I know I could, I see the benefits of that in your life. However, that shaved ice business actually went just the lessons you learned with it at a, uh, at an early age. I think you're what, 22 or 22 at the time. Yeah. Let's see. I would have been, yeah. 21 or 22 is what I would have been back then. Just the small shaved ice business that, that taught you more lessons than what you could pay for. Oh, crazy, dude. It was crazy. We learned so much from that business. So much. It's, it's fascinating. And you got to put yourself out there. I really do believe it. Uh, listen to Dave deal. And he's, uh, he's got a lot of things in the pipeline. And I, I truly believe that obviously some of them are going to work out. Some of them aren't, but at the end of the day, like I know Warren Buffett, he became obviously one of the world's richest men. We know him as that, but he said that nine out of 10 investments don't work out. 
Does that mean he shouldn't invest in the nine investments that, nope, he doesn't know which one it is, but he does know he's got to invest in 10 in order to get one that is going to work out. And if you're not real, if you're not trying, you're not testing, you really aren't going to figure out which one is it going to be. And at the end of the day, how many investments has he really made in his life? A lot more than 10, a lot more than 10, a lot more than 10, a lot more than 10. So check it out guys. I, I appreciate you guys listening in. This was a longer episode and I, I hope it was valuable though. If you've been able to listen to it in one go or if you broke it up into multiple different sessions, however it is, I really hope you got the benefits from it and it, uh, to be as transparent as possible. I wanted to try something different with Dave uh, and keep it more open and let the conversation guide itself as to what was important and how to uh, really find some gold nuggets in there. There's a lot of gold nuggets that I learned today and uh, I'm going to be listening back through it and finding it out and actually exposing it more in later episodes. So if you hear some of the stuff coming from this conversation, that's exactly where it stemmed from and go do something. Is there anything you'd like to leave with the people today, Dave? Yeah, one final quote that I'll leave you with is one of my favorites. It's hanging above my desk, and it's uh, Winston Churchill. And he says, to every man, there's a time in their life when they're physically tapped on the shoulder and offered the chance to do something unique and fitted to their talent. What a tragedy if that moment finds them unprepared or unqualified for that work, which would be their finest hour. So go out and uh, go out and do something. Make it your finest hour. I think everyone's got a different finest hour, for sure. And your Absolutely. finest hour no matter how big or small it is, it matters to you. And that's the number one thing that matters. You got to take care of yourself. You do have to be self-reliant and you've got to be self-reliant in every way possible. And, um, I, man, I couldn't have said anything better myself. I'm going to leave it at that guys. Thank you so much for coming and joining me today. Dave, we'll catch you again next time. There it is. Do you have a story that is burning inside of you that would be valuable for others to hear? Let's share the lessons that you've learned on this podcast. Head over to conversionmarketingradio.com forward slash interview and let's share that story.